0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Episode 4 of The Historian's Miscellany. I appreciate all of the love that you have been showing me by listening and commenting on the Facebook and Instagram accounts. I'm super excited to bring you an episode that hits close to home. This one is about a serial killer in Howard County, Nebraska. Yeah, she lived only about 10 miles from where I grew up. Who would ever imagine that there was a serial killer in Danabrog, Nebraska? I know I sure didn't. We pick up our story in February of 1925. Sheriff Scott of Howard County started a discreet inquiry to weird happenings in Dannebrog. Two children, Lyle and Lillian Nott, both were mysteriously stricken with an illness on the fifth of that month. The story goes that Mrs. Nott visited the Sorensen home. She stepped outside for just a few moments and when she returned, she saw Mrs. Della Sorensen giving the youngest, Lillian, some candy or a cookie. Lillian quickly became very ill, vomited, but was able to get prompt medical attention that saved her. A quick-thinking mother was able to gather some of the vomit and it was sent off to a lab for testing. Of course, it came back as some kind of deadly poison. The village authorities and Board of Health were worried that something was very wrong. When the sheriff finally approached Mrs. Sorensen, she immediately told him that she knew what he was looking for, poison. The sheriff actually said he was looking for bootleg whiskey, but Della continued to volunteer more information, information that eventually led to her arrest. After two months of investigation, Sheriff Scott arrested Mrs. Della Sorensen for the attempted murder of the Knott children. Once in custody, the interrogation put enough pressure on Della that she could just not stop talking, or maybe it was the fact that she was what she was about to say had been weighing on her for the last seven years. Della made the following statement: "My name is Della Sorensen. I am twenty-eight years old." I married Joe Weldom at Grand Island in 1915 and lived with him on a farm near St. Lavore. On or about July 23, 1918, my sister-in-law, Mrs. Wetzel Cooper, was at my home with her daughter, Viola. She brought some chocolate candy, and I put some strychnine into a piece of it and gave it to Viola. And Viola died of strychnine poisoning in a very short time. I gave the poison to this child because I had it in for Mrs. Cooper, its mother. Mrs. Cooper always was running down my reputation and to get even with her, I decided to kill three of her children. In the summer of 1920, my mother-in-law, Mrs. Wilhelmina Weldon, lived in my home near St. Labor, And one day I put a little strychnine into a bottle of medicine, which my mother-in-law was taking. My mother-in-law took the medicine And died a few hours later. The reason I put the strychnine into her medicine was because my mother in law was feeble and childish and a burden on my hands. I wanted to get her out of the way. My little daughter, Minnie, then three years old, died of Saint Vita's Dance. I could do nothing with her. She ate and tore the clothes off the bed, put her hands on the hot stove, could not talk, and suffered terribly. So, to relieve her suffering, I put some strychnine into a glass of water which I gave her. She died in a very short time. As soon as the child died, I had a feeling of elation and happiness. Then, after thinking of what I had done, I had a feeling of fear and tried to hide what I had done. I had this same feeling in every case that I had poisoned. This child died on September seventh, 1920. I and my first husband, Joseph Weldom, had a fallout. We had a quarrel, a bad quarrel. One day, I just had it in for him. He was sick and at the time taking medicine. I put some strychnine into his medicine two different times, which he took and died shortly after taking it the second time. This was on the 20th day of September, 1920. After he died, I came to, I was sorry for what I had done, and wished I had never done it, and I burned the bottle in the stove. You see, I bought this strychnine myself at a drugstore on the south side by a hardware store in Grand Island, Nebraska. I signed up for it in my right name, Mrs. Joseph Weldom. Mrs. Wetzel Cooper was at my home in Danibrog, Nebraska, with her baby Clifford, who was about four months old. To get revenge on Mrs. Cooper for what she had done to me, I put strychnine into its mouth and it died shortly after. This was August 20th, 1922. In October 1922, Mrs. Cooper came to my house with her daughter Bessie. I put strychnine on some bread and butter and gave it to Bessie. She ate the bread and butter. She became very sick, but recovered. Every time I gave strychnine to one of Mrs. Cooper's children, I said to myself, now I am going to get even with you. When I bought this poison, I had an idea that I was going to kill someone. On February thirteenth, 1923, I put some strychnine on my baby Dolores' mouth and then let her nurse. She only lived a couple of hours after that. I gave this baby the poison because it made me nervous and irritable because it was not feeling very good and was continually fussing and crying. This baby died on its first birthday. On the 20th day of February, 1923, Christiana Brock came to my house with her little baby, Ruth. I felt sorry for the poor child because this woman did not care for it. So I gave it a small grain of strychnine in its mouth and it died about an hour later. Last February, after the snow was off the ground, my husband, Emanuel Sorensen, threw the strychnine that I had left into the creek north of my home. I have made the above statement voluntarily and of my own accord because I want to tell the truth and because I am sorry for what I had done. I want to go to a hospital where I may be treated and cured and return to my children. Signed, Mrs. Dellen Sorensen, St. Paul, Nebraska. April 19, 1925. Della did not make an official statement about poisoning the two not-children, but did later make a comment that she tried to because their father stole my wine. Della murdered at least seven people and sickened several others. It wasn't until this horrific confession, however, did Mr. Sorensen actually believe his wife was guilty of these crimes. He was dumbfounded with the shock of the nefarious work of his wife. Mrs. Sorensen pleaded for forgiveness, saying that she was sorry, but he was in no mood to forgive her. He stated, "I will never get married again. Nope, not as long as I live." The woman's father and stepmother, Mr. and Mrs. William Seidel, who resided in Saint Paul after retiring from their farm near Farwell, stated that it was a shock to them when they learned what had happened. William was quoted as saying. She is the meanest girl that ever lived. Neither I nor my wife, her stepmother, have had anything to do with her for years, not since she married the first time. We were able to find out that in 1919, Della was hospitalized for nine months, but we don't know the reason. We do know that this was a tremendous burden on the family costing nearly $1,000. This would be over $14,000 in today's worth. She married her first husband soon after leaving the hospital. William continued his statement by saying, We never even so much as spoke to her during the time she was married to Weldon. She has brought her three brothers and three sisters much shame. The rest of the family is respected in the county. No one can say a word or point a finger of suspicion against any of the family." It is a very peculiar note that nobody ever mentioned the possibility of her being mentally disturbed over the previous few years. Other information came out after this was in the public. When Mr. Wellman, her first husband, became ill, he actually sought the care of a Dr. Arnold from Palmer. The doctor diagnosed him with either a nervous disorder or that he was possibly poisoned. Dr. Arnold recommended sending off a sample of blood to be checked, but Mr. Weldman did not think it was worthwhile to bother with it. Three days later, he passed away. Had he taken the advice of Dr. Arnold and sent that sample away, five of her victims would have possibly survived. Mrs. Della Sorensen was institutionalized in the state hospital in Hastings until her death at the tender age of 38. How did this all go unnoticed? Well, things were certainly different back then. There was a worldwide flu pandemic that took place from 1918 to 1920. Infant mortality was also very high at this point. Some estimates show us that two out of every 10 children never lived to see their first birthday at this time. We were also coming off of World War I with the U.S. having contributed 4.7 million troops to fight and losing 117,000 of them in battle. Let's just say that there were other things for people to worry about, distracting them from what was right in front of them. Well, normally I would say that this was a super weird story all by itself, but it gets even weirder for your narrator. While conducting the research for this story, I came across a really strange hit on one of the genealogy sites. Mrs. Della Sorensen was either the half-sister or sister of my great-grandpa, John Seidel. She was my grandpa Ernie's aunt, my great-great-aunt. We'll need a much better investigator to find out the true relationship to me because she listed two separate mothers on her two marriage licenses. Because of her appearance, though, we have our suspicions of the full relationship. How can this go on for so long without any of our family truly knowing we had a serial killer that we were related to? My guess is that nobody really wanted to admit it. I mean, would you talk about it? (laughs) She also died at a very young age, so it was probably just easy to let it go and let things stay in the past. Special thanks to Phyllis, Arlene, Bev, and Bonnie for all of the family information. I can feel your passion when I read your letters or talk to you on the phone. Being able to put it together with the involvement of family members makes it even more special. I loved investigating this story and it will certainly add to the family lore. Thanks to everyone for listening. I appreciate all of you very much. Please leave a review on the podcast medium of your choice. Or feel free to visit The Historian's Miscellany on Facebook or Instagram and leave your comments. I'm also looking for suggestions for future shows. We look forward to bringing another episode to you in just a couple short weeks. Keep listening, and of course, stay curious.